0: Well, good morning. As uh, has already been said, we are now in the season of the church calendar, where we're celebrating the the season of Lent. Now, some of you, if you're like me, you may be like, "There's a church calendar? Like I didn't know that growing up." And uh, other people here might be saying. Finally, finally, you're recognizing seasons and holy days that I celebrated when I was growing up in the tradition that I was a part of when I was growing up. But whatever your perspective or history is uh, with the season of Lent, it is a season and a time that has been celebrated by Christians from almost the very beginning of our movement, the very earliest days of the church. And it's also, it's also reflected in the Jewish calendar when... The Jewish people would, uh, would prepare for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, their high and holy, most holy day of the entire calendar. They would spend an entire month getting ready for that in kind of some, doing some soul-searching and some introspection and asking some hard questions about themselves. And then after an entire month, they would kick off the season, the season of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, and that was ten days of awe where people would be grieving and mourning over their sin and preparing for this great and holy day, the, the the day of atonement that would come. And so we have asked ourselves the question that that perhaps, perhaps, would it be appropriate for us as the people of God in this area at this time to do something similar, to prepare for our own day of atonement, the day of resurrection Sunday and Easter when it comes. And to spend some time, a season set aside for um, some of our, to do some own soul searching of ourselves kind of collectively as a group and to ask ourselves some hard questions and to prepare our hearts and kind of clean the closets of our life in getting ready for Easter Sunday and do kind of some grieving over our sins, even maybe some denial of sorts that we may not, of some indulgences that we normally might uh, afford ourselves. I would submit to you uh, that this is something that our society doesn't know how to do, by and large. We don't really practice things normally like self-denial. As a society, we really don't know how to grieve well. We certainly don't know how to grieve over our own sin. And we, and we certainly don't know how to repent. But yet, these are things that the Scriptures call us to again and again and again. And so, as a church, we want to just set aside a, kind of a prolonged period where we can do this in preparation for Easter Sunday because the season of of Lent is intended to be a time to pause, to stop amidst the craziness of life and surrender to the Lord, to remember that He is everything and that He is our life and that when we truly begin to grapple with those truths, then our lives begin to be filled with purpose and significance. And so during this time as we march towards the cross, of Jesus Christ. We thought it would be good and appropriate to look at Jesus' own words to his own followers as he prepared them as he went towards the cross. And so we're looking at John chapters 14, 15, uh, and 16 during this whole season. And, and I want to invite you to, to turn there with me. We're going to kick it off with John 14 today. You can find that on page 749. Uh, of, uh, of the Bibles that are on your chairs, John chapter 14. Now, the context is this. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover Supper, the, the Hebrew Passover Supper, with his disciples. And in doing so, he has infused that traditional Jewish meal with new significance and, uh, and new meaning by saying that the bread is his body that's going to be broken for them. The, the, the cup is uh, representing... His blood that is going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And he has just gotten done telling them that one of them, one of his very own, one of their inner circle is going to betray him. And that Peter is even going to deny him. Deny that he even knows who he is. So this is kind of a somber and very sobering moment for the disciples as, as they're in this. And... Um, and so I just want to read kind of verses fourteen one through 4, okay? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be, may be, with, be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. Now, it's, it's almost kind of comical if you were to read this entire, air, this entire scene right here, this, even in the chapter before it. Jesus is trying, it's almost like, it reads like a Monty Python sketch. Okay? Jesus is trying to be very serious, he's trying to be very profound, and his disciples are really thick, and they just don't get it. You know, Jesus is speaking to them metaphorically about the fact that he is going to go away. Okay? But that he's going to come back and he's going to take them to be where he is. So if you back up into chapter 13, okay, Jesus said talking to his disciples, "A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." And then Simon Peter, Jesus, uh, "Where are you going?" You know, and he's like Peter, did you just hear anything that I just said? You know, And then later on, Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also may be where I am. and You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You know? It's like these guys just don't get it. And so finally, Jesus kind of lays down the proverbial theological smackdown and just and this makes this huge statement in verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is where I just kind of want to momentarily camp for, uh, for most of the, the message and what we're going to talk about. Up until this moment, Jesus has made several I am statements. He's claimed to be one thing. He says... I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. But now he is making an unconditional and unequivocal, categorical statement about himself. He's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in today's PC culture, this makes us... A little nervous. In today's religiously tolerant atmosphere, such an unmistakably narrow declaration of who He is makes us just a little bit uneasy. But we can't ignore it. He says, I am the way. He's not saying that He's just one of many ways, as if there are many roads which leads to God. He's not saying that He's one of several options. He is saying that He alone is the singular way that someone connects to the living God. And as much as we would like to believe that all faiths are equally valid, Jesus does not leave that possibility open for us. He says He is the way and the only way. And He says, I am the truth. He says uh, the author of this book of John already got done claiming that Jesus was full of grace and truth in John chapter 1. Now He's saying that not only is Jesus full of truth, but that he is the truth. He totally, completely, perfectly represented what God was like to the world around him. In fact, he's just going to say say in a little while later to his disciples, if anyone has seen me, they have seen the Father. He is the perfect expression and representation of what God is like to the world. And Jesus' declaration here, In a world which claims they have mutually valid but contradictory statements of truth, Jesus' declaration here cuts across everything else. He says, I am the truth. If you're looking for something rock solid to put your hope and your faith in and your confidence in, look no further than Jesus Christ. And he says, I am the life. Life is a huge theme in John's Gospel. He opens up the book by saying, in him, in Jesus, is life. And that life was the light of men. He goes on to say just a couple of chapters later. He says, "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life." And then in John eleven twenty five, at Lazarus said, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, "I am the resurrection, and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die." Jesus is the life. In Him, and Him alone is life. Without Him. We have no life. And without him, no one has any life, any hope of life. It doesn't matter how sincere we are or how many good things we may have done. Only in Jesus do we have life. And then he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now one of the guys who heard him say that was Peter. He was there at the time. And in just a few short weeks, Peter is going to stand up before a whole crowd of people and say, salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Acts 4.12. And so Peter understood unequivocally what Jesus was talking about here in this passage. Perhaps, perhaps, This Lenten season, the first thing we may need to do is pause and to take some spiritual inventory and ask ourselves the question, do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus really is the way and the truth and the life? And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Because if we really do believe these truths about Jesus, wouldn't that change everything for us? Have you ever been to the hardware store, gone to the hardware store for something for, that you need for the house? You know, some gadget or something, some you know, the fire extinguisher or something like that. And, and, and you get there and you, you, you find the, 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 the area where your thing should be and you can't find it at all. The hook is empty, okay? The shelf where your item is supposed to be, it's, it's empty, it's gone. And you, there's a tag there, but there's nothing there. And so you find someone who works at the hardware store and you say, this is what I'm looking for right here. And she says, well, "Well, hold on, let me look it up in the computer." And she takes on the SKU number and she looks it up in the computer. And she says, "Well, the computer says that we have three of them." And you're like, "Well, good. Where are they? You know?" And so they go up in the rafters and they start going through boxes and they're looking for them and stuff like that. And, and there's nothing to be found. And what is true on the computer in the inventory and true in reality are two. Completely different things. Could it be that the same could be true about our lives? That what we say we believe and what we live out and how we live might show two completely contradictory and different things. Don't you think That if we truly believed that Jesus really was the way and the truth and the life and that no one came to the Father except through him, that would change something about how we lived. If we really believed that deep down in our bones, and perhaps Lent is the season where we can just kind of hit the pause button and do some spiritual inventory, kind of you know, close the store, as it were, and make sure that what we say we believe and what we actually believe match up. I've been able to do some, spend some time with this amazing couple uh, up in Kewaskam. Mike is, was in his final stages of death, and uh, he was at home, in-home hospice. He had esophageal cancer, and he was in his final days, and I was talking to his wife, Nathalie, and we're reading these verses because I wanted Mike to make sure that he understand, understood the gospel and what Jesus had done for him and was sure about his faith. And so we looked at these verses where it says that Jesus says that he's going away and he's going to prepare a place for us. And then if he does that, he's going to come back and he's going to take us to be or so that we can be with him where he is. And I said to the, Mike's wife, Nathalie, I said, Nathalie, in just a few short days, I don't know when, But Jesus is going to come, and he's going to get Mike. And he's going to take him to be with him so that Mike can be with him where he is. And I just pray that when that happens, Jesus gives you a little nudge so you know that he's been there. Now, the problem is is that I was completely wrong. Mike didn't die. In fact, he made a recovery. In fact, he checked out of hospice. People were praying for him and started praying for him. And he recovered and he checked out of hospice. You're not supposed to do that. You know? And, 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 and the last time that I went to go visit him to see how they were doing, they had just gotten back from playing a round of golf. And now Mike has this amazing story to tell. Because he knows without a doubt that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that's begun to change his life. Because when Jesus said that, he he made these statements. He wasn't just talking about taking us to go be with him so we can be with him in heaven. That this would actually change the way we look at our entire lives. So if we look on here in verses 9 to 10. You know, in the following verses, there's some discussion with Jesus and the disciples as as they wrestle with the exact nature of Jesus' identity. And in verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And then this is how Jesus answers. I want to just watch this for a while. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Okay, this is the part I want you to pay attention to. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus claimed that his entire life was one big extension of what God was doing in the world. He says earlier, my father is always at work, and to this very day, and and I too am working. He says, I can only do what I see my father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus claimed that his whole life and ministry was an extension of the good and great work that God was already doing in the world. But here's the amazing thing. When we truly believe that Jesus is the way and the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the father except through him it changes everything and jesus's mission becomes our mission and the life that jesus was living where everything he did was one great extension of the mission of work of god and in the world that becomes our mission as well look at verses 12 to 13 jesus says this, i tell you the truth Anyone who has faith in me, okay, has faith in me, believes that I am the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now wait a second, you know, like, where does Jesus get off saying that anyone who has faith in me will do what I am doing and will do even greater things than these? Jesus like, cast out demons. I don't know, but that's like graduate level stuff, you know? He's like Jesus healed people, and he says like Jesus Jesus rose people from the dead. It's it's kind of hard to improve on that, right? How do you do a better job at raising someone from the dead? But he says that they will do even greater things than these. But when Jesus was talking about greater things, he wasn't talking about quality as much as he was talking about quantity. He wasn't talking about about The fact that there will be more powerful deeds or anything like that. There will be more extensive and more deeds. Because, see, Jesus at this time is, he's, how long did Jesus minister for? Anyone know? Like about three years, right? Okay. That's all he had. And then his life was cut short. Most of us, all things being equal, we're going to have our whole lives to do ministry for Jesus. Okay? Jesus, when he was here, he was limited to one body. And he never really got beyond Palestine. Palestine. But now, through his followers, through the body of Christ, he is now spread all throughout the globe. And he has access and, is the, and the ability to influence almost every corner of the planet. Almost every corner. We're still not there yet. Okay? And so, Jesus is talking about quantity here. And that we, when we place our faith in him, when we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that is going to change everything everything for us and we are invited to be a part of the mission that Jesus was a part of. And he says whoever has faith in me will do what I've been doing. When we truly believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life that changes everything for us. This Lenten season I want to invite us to do a little spiritual inventory and ask ourselves the question, do I really believe this? Because when we really believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through Him, that changes everything for us. Let's pray. Father God, as we kind of collectively together hit the pause button of life and take a season to just reflect on our own lives and to think about where we haven't measured up to your standards and your expectations for your people. I pray that you would be kind and gracious to us and send your Holy Spirit to shine uh, his spotlight on our souls. To show the things in the closets of our lives that need to come out into the light. And to show the areas of our lives where we haven't quite trusted you or believed that you are who you said you were the way, and the truth, and the life. And I I would pray that all of us here who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ would know that deep in our bones, that You are the way, You are the truth, and You are the life. And no one comes to the Father except through You. And having believed that to the bottom of our soul's that that would change everything for us. And we would become engaged and involved in the mission that you've been doing from the very beginning of the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Mike. As we uh, continue to seek to worship Jesus this morning, we're going to do a a spiritual exercise we may not have done as a family before. Um, One of the spiritual exercises developed by a guy named St. Ignatius in the 1500s was imaginative meditation on the word. So we take time to silence our hearts and our minds and imaginatively, it's hard to say, place ourselves in the gospel. We accompany Jesus through his life by imagining scenes from the gospel stories and placing ourselves there. And meditating on the word through our imagination isn't just thinking about a gospel scene. It's asking the Holy Spirit to make us present with Jesus in that moment and to make his words directly meaningful to our lives now. So as we read through the text, to use your imagination to dig deeper into the story so that God may communicate with you in a personal way. So if you'd like, you're welcome to bow your heads at this point, and I'm going to lead us through this. First, put yourself there sitting around the table in the upper room. It's night. There's only the light from oil lamps and candles. It's been a whirlwind of a night. Jesus led the Passover meal. He talked about his body and his blood being broken and poured out. And then he got up and washed everyone's feet. And then Judas was accused as a betrayer betrayer and quickly left. And then Peter was accused that he was going to deny Jesus three times within that very night. The mood is dark. Everyone's uncertain, scared. Yet you hear Jesus say, don't be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back to take you with me. And next to you, Thomas says, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And clearly you hear Jesus say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. from now on, you know him and I've seen him. And across the table, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You hear Jesus exhale. And he looks at Philip and says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And you look at the face of Jesus And in Him you see the Father, your heart moved towards worship. The mood is still uncertain and fearful, but you trust in Jesus. And you hear Him give you direction and mission when He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now revisit this scene, and this time, picture yourself as Jesus. You prepare the Passover meal knowing that you are the true Passover lamb. You wash the disciples' feet knowing that you have come to serve and to show the disciples a new way. You've known all along about Judas, but now it's Satan's hour. You've known all along about Peter, but it doesn't make it any easier telling him he's about to fail. You tell the disciples that you need to go to the Father, and you know that the road includes your crucifixion and death. But it's the disciples who are uncertain, the disciples who are afraid, and you love them. You tell them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And you know the disciples trust you, but they don't understand. You hear Thomas ask about where you're going and about the way to get there, and you plainly tell them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Philip asks to see the Father, and then that will be enough. And you take a deep breath and then ask him, don't you know me? If you've known me and seen me, you have seen and know the Father, because the Father is me, is in me, and he works through me. And Father, as we come to know the person and work of Jesus Christ, your Son, the truth is, is that we know you. He's the perfect embodiment of who you are. And Father, as we come to know you through relationship with Jesus Christ, you now empower us to the Spirit, with the Spirit to continue to know who you are, to continue to live for you, to continue to seek to make you famous in our normal everyday lives. As we continue to worship you through song, may we know you are a good, good Father. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.